I want you to turn to Luke chapter 19, and then I'm going to read a verse from Psalms 113. Now, working on Sunday's message this week, I came across the one I'm going to talk about tonight. It just seemed like it pops up, and it came about, and I thought, you know, this would be a good night to talk about this particular subject. We've been talking about David's sin and joy. We'll do a little more about that Sunday in a little different direction, but including joy. And I think I made the statement that God's people should be known for their joy. Or in some way, joy should be one of the expressions about our lives that people can see. There should be some kind of a favorable comment from others who are around us that we have the joy of the Lord. And if we do, it'll be seen in various things, especially when we come together in praise and worship. I think the sponsor of praise, if there could be such a thing, and worship and an expression of gratitude before God is joy. The song says, he has made me glad. He has made me glad. I don't know all the words exactly to it, but he has done something for me, and uh, he has made me glad. And the gladness that I'm talking about is not a worldly thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's something that only God can do. And when he does it, there's a, a need to get it out. There's a need to express it in some way. You may want to worship. The Bible had a lot of ways of doing it. They clapped their hands. They shouted. They blew horns. They played tambourines. They danced. All of those were expressions of joy, something God has done for us. And the world looks at us and all of this and said, you know, the Lord has done great things for those people because what they have, you don't find it in the world. It's just something that's uniquely spiritual. And I want to talk tonight about God is going to be praised. He is going to be praised. In fact, in Luke 19, in verse 37, it says that when he has come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying this, Blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitudes said unto him, Master, rebuke these disciples. Shouldn't be saying things like that. And Jesus said in verse 40, And he said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Do you suppose that's possible? Or is it some kind of a use of the English language to say that God's going to be praised? Could a stone cry out? How about a mountains? How about stars? Can stars sing? The Bible said they will. Said their mountains will rejoice. There's a lot of ways that God's creation is going to extol him is going to recognize him as the supreme being, the creator. The very stone Jesus said, if these hold their peace, somebody or something is going to praise God, even the stones. Now in Psalm 113, you don't have to turn to it. You probably are familiar with that. It says, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. That's all day. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, he said, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Now, we're required to do that because we are a special in this world. We are a special people. We're God's called people. God's called us out of the darkness, called us out of the miry clay, set us in his presence. That makes us special. Not only special to him, but because of the way we live and what we believe, being different from the world, we're that kind of people. But one of the things that we must learn to do that I believe God requires of us when we come together is to worship, to come together and to worship and to praise. Because you see, this is how the Bible shows us, this is how we respond to God corporately. That is, when we all come together. 
God said the church in Ephesians 2 was being built together as a habitation of God. And the Bible says God in Psalm 22, that God inhabits praise. And what would a church be if it did not have praise and worship? Well, it would just simply be a gathering of people. It wouldn't necessarily be a church. It wouldn't necessarily please God. If it doesn't worship, it doesn't honor him. See, all of these things, as I mentioned Sunday about other things, worship is a choice. I make that decision. I can make a decision to be still and just sit here and and have my own way of doing things, or I can enter into worship. I can come into his courts with thanksgiving if I want to, or I can choose to, for a lot of reasons I can come up with, not do that. But you see, everything here we're talking about tonight about worship and praise is a choice. Nobody makes us do it. We're not required to do it. Nobody is taking pictures of you with cameras to see if you are. You get to. No, you don't have to, but God wants you to. But he doesn't want your praise if it doesn't come from your heart. See, God sees hearts. There's a kind of praise that, remember Isaiah spoke of those who say the right words with their lips and they sing the right songs and they have the right gestures. But he said, their hearts were far from me. And he said, they're only doing this because that's the way they were taught. They were taught that by their family, by the church they grew up in or by some system of man or something. And this is the way they have learned to do it. But, you know, the, sometimes the best praise, sometimes the best praise is spontaneous. When you're just together and the Spirit of God begins to move and it's an uplifting moment and you sense there's something outside of yourself, bigger than yourself, and it's God and he has given you that freedom to, to lift up the hands that hang down and to worship and to praise and to honor God with your whole being. It's what we should do. We should be known for that. We should expect to do that when we come here tonight. Now, I'm not going to put us all down and say that we don't do it very often, but we should. See, there's something wrong if we don't, but there is something good if we do. God wants us to worship him. He wants us to praise him. But We're not always consistent. Now, like Sunday morning, I thought your singing was good. It was robust. Is robust the right word? It was robust. It was like, there's within my heart a melody. Yes, Jesus, you know. Maybe it was a little too much drama. But I thought the singing was robust. And it's easy to get involved when everybody around you is involved. It's easy to enter in. But that's okay. That's okay. You're still doing your part. You're still a part of the whole thing, and you're giving God what you've got. But it's not good to be inconsistent. I don't mean that every time we come together on a snowy, cold night or at a difficult time, we ought to just take off running. But, you know, if we did, that's fine. Would it be good to have a robust meeting every time we met? If you did... I guarantee you, boy, on Wednesday night or Sunday morning, honey, we like, let's get ready to go to church. Let's get there early because, boy, you, I don't tell them what's going to happen tonight. Woo, let's go. Wouldn't it be good if you really felt like that? Boy, I think we'd have church then. We would be having some kind of a church meeting. Everybody's glad. Everybody's expecting God to move. If nothing more than to just move like that. Make him be glad. I'd rather be glad than sad. I'd rather you be glad than sad. What if I told you there's a sad face or two in here tonight, and I haven't looked at all of you, okay? See, I think standing here, being responsible to oversee this crowd, praying about what and how, when. I see people sometimes that are sad. And I know that maybe they're not saved and maybe they've never really come to know Christ. They've never had a revelation of who Jesus is and therefore there's not much 
inspiration or motivation. But sometimes it just, well, I want, let me talk about some of those things tonight. Let me give you some things that hinder praise. Things that we allow or things that happen that hinder praise and worship. First one is sin. Simple sin. Sin has so many different forms and so many different expressions that we couldn't possibly touch on all of them if we started now and went the rest of the week. Because there's a whole lot of things that we could call sin. Sin could be gossip, could it? You know why gossip is a sin? Because God doesn't want you to do it. Arguing and fighting and drawing apart, God doesn't want us to do that, does he? But when we do it, it, we did it because we chose to do it. See, sin is a choice too. You choose to sin. Because the choice you make to sin is because of rebellion. If there's one thing that to me identifies sin and sinfulness, it's rebellion. Rebellion that puts God somewhere else rather than on his throne. It listens to what God says, but it does things its own way. We call that iniquity, or we call it transgression. You simply call it sin. But rebellion is when you say, I don't want to. I'm not going to. I don't want anybody to tell me that I have to. Because the big I, me, self, doesn't like to surrender itself to a cross and let somebody else, like God, be in control. When God is in control, that means he's Lord. Jesus asked a question once. He said, why do you call me, y'all know that verse in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, remember that? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I tell you? And the answer is because I don't want to. Would that be right? What if God wanted us to worship him? Just to praise him, not some violent, dramatic way, but just hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I'm here. Bless the Lord. What if that's what he wanted you to do and you did not? Now, you say, why would you not do that? Because you don't want to. I'm not going to do that. Well, if he wants you to sing and there's within my heart a melody, I don't want to. Singing to the Lord a new song, I don't want to. I'll mouth the words, but it won't come from my heart because I don't want to. See, I can say the right words and do all of this kind of stuff, but if my heart's not into it, I might as well not do it because it's not what God wants. Sin is a horrible thing. It not only suppresses divine life and prevents you from entering into what God has for you, but it literally cuts you off from God. There's so many things, so many things that we've been taught about what we should do, what we should not do. And he that knows to do good and does it not, to them it's sin. Sometimes people don't like all the noise. They don't like all the expression, the emotion. We'll get to that on another point in just a moment. But sometimes we wait till the Praise is over and the preaching begins before we come into sanctuary. So we don't have to get involved. You suppose that might be true with somebody in history. I see that didn't include you, did it? But in the history of the church through the years, there has been at least one or two people in all of that time who did not like to praise and worship. They did not like to do that. And so to avoid that, they wait until all of that is kind of done, and then they come in and find a seat just to hear the word, and then they know we won't last long after the sermon because we'll sing a song maybe or two, and then we'll leave. That won't be too much. Is there something wrong with that? I'll let your conscience be your guide, whoever, whatever. Do you think there's something wrong with that when a person maybe is irritated by emotional expressions. You ever watch, well, maybe you wouldn't, I get to, but when somebody is really glad, I mean really glad, oh, woo, or somebody is deeply moved, 
The one that's glad is dancing and having a big time, and somebody's going, what's wrong with him? I don't know. What's wrong with her? I don't know. Or somebody is deeply moved and drawn near to God so they get on their knees during worship. Does that bother you? I bet it bothers some people. What's he doing on his knees? Why is he down like that on his knees? Somebody will tell him to get up. We don't do that here. We don't. Why not? The Bible says <laughs> bow yourself before God. Some people do that. It's a deeper expression of my feelings, my humility, my heart for God. I am so thankful. Now, don't everybody go on their knees now, but next time we have a meeting. You do if you want to, as long as it's sincere and from your hearts. But worship and praise, remember, God wants that from us. The world's not going to give that to him. He called you out of darkness so that you could sing his praises and extol him. Some people are just more into it than others. I agree with you. But boy, some people don't seem to get in it at all. And I think the reason they don't is rebellion. It's just, I don't want to. I'm not going to do that. All of that loud noise and clapping and shouting and lifting of hands bothers me. Bonnie grew up in a Presbyterian church. I grew up in a Christian church. Now, that was two of them that were pretty dead. Nobody ever did that. Nobody would ever put that in a bulletin as an order of service. You know, on verse 3, kneel. No, we're not going to, I'm not. If they put it in there, they wouldn't do it. They, if they wouldn't sing the third stanza if you put that in there because we never liked the third stanza. We sang first, second, and fourth stanza. But there's just something maybe about the way we were raised. The church system that we grew up in and how it trained us to view God. But I have to admit, when I was a kid, there was something beyond what I knew but God in my life and the lives of what I could see in our church, God was no big deal. I mean, you know, we just, we're just having church this morning. We've learned to do it this way and that way, and, and we don't do this other stuff. And I remember when a bunch of us got saved. I mean, we were born again, and we got filled with the Holy Spirit. And we spoke in tongues. And there was a gladness and a joy that I had never known in my life. And it was hard to contain that. When you go to church, you got some of those who don't like this emotional stuff. You got some of us who were just wanting to let all of it go. Because we had just come from a church during the weekend that did that. <laughs> Boy, woo! Then we go to your own church and you go, Because mm. worship and praise was offensive. It offended people. Didn't like it. So we kind of held it back as long as we could. I've told the story through the years. One time I raised my hand. The preacher was preaching so good. And I, amen. Well, the chatter amongst the Deeper Life Club was overwhelming. Folks that had been in this church for years didn't like all this emotion. You mean saying amen? This is emotion? Well, they should have been where we were the other night. They would pass out <laughs> over at the Assemblies of God Church in Louisville where we used to go. They were glad. But one of the reasons we don't is because, because of sin. We just don't want to do it. We just don't. And if we don't want to do it, we don't. And if we keep not wanting to do it, we get used to not doing it until... It's hard to do it. Take, give me a second reason. A second reason that's a hindrance to praise is guilt. Guilt. See, guilt involves your conscience. I mean, the voice of your conscience is a strong voice. When a man is guilty, he is aware of the fact that he's wrong or she's wrong, your fact that you're wrong. And you know you're wrong. And you know you're not right. And you know that the choice you just made, you made it anyway. Again, it, these things are run together, but it's rebellion again. And this moment you do, your conscience begins to say, that was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have gone there. You shouldn't have watched that. You should have been nicer. 
Because God taught you something to form your conscience. His word gives you something for a conscience to be reliable about. And the only reliable thing there is is the word of God by the spirit. And when God puts that in your heart, that doesn't mean you're going to do it, but that means God's going to show you when you're wrong when you don't do it. This is the way walk ye in it. You say, okay, amen, praise the Lord. And then when you situation comes up, it's not convenient to do that. Mm. You don't do it. And then guilt comes in. That little thing that hammers on your headpiece or your mind, and put it that way. thing that informs your mind. You're wrong. You know you're wrong. Nobody really has to tell you you're wrong, but God wants you to know you're wrong. So he tells you in a way that you can't get mad at anybody else because it was God that told you. You know, I know the preacher meddles all the time. He's always going beyond his pay grade, but... God can tell you whatever he wants you. You can't get mad at God. Well, I guess you could, but it wouldn't do any good. Let me tell you twofold things about guilt, twofold guilt here. One is a, it's when you're guilty, what I'm talking about now. You're guilty of something. You failed. You let go. You let down. You let up. You gave in. And you're going to church, and you've been through the things that you've been guilty about, you're not living that, you're not living like you should. Maybe you've been hanging around somewhere, you're taking a drink with your buddies who are not Christians. But they're good guys, they're fun to, your ladies, girls, they're fun to be with. Man, we're just having a good time. I know, but you know, that's not a good testimony, is it? No, and he didn't know to do good. Okay, so you shouldn't be doing that. <sighs> now there's guilt. You're not living like you should. You're not being the kind of person God wants you to be, and you know it. I mean, your heart, as it said to David, you know, your heart smites you. Your conscience condemns your actions. That voice inside of you won't leave you alone because God called you out of darkness to save you, and he's not going to let you get by with anything. He'll let your buddies, because they don't care. But with you, he's going to make you care. So this guilt is in there. Now here's what happens to suppress praise. You're messing up, you're not living right, you're not doing much about it, and you come to church. One of these songs of praise begin. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And on the inside as a Christian, you got a lot going on. Something says, come on, let's go. And you say, I can't. Why? Because... I'm not living right. I'm not doing what I should be doing. You know, I've been taught too many right ways to live, and I'm, I'm broken most of them. I'm just not living the way that God wants me to live. Well, there are people that are around you that know it. And that's part of the problem, because if they're in the same sanctuary you're in, when you come to church, it's hard for you to lift your hands and, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, because they're watching you, and they know how you live when you're out of church. And you're allowing that stuff to live in you. You're making light of your drinking or your bad words you use every now and then or the movies you watch in which all of the sex and the cussing and the innuendos, uh, you and your kids watch that stuff. There's got to be some kind of guilt. Something has to bother you. If you don't deal with it, chances are when you come in this room or you come together, there won't be much coming out of your mouth because you feel hypocritical. You even tell yourself, well, I ain't going to be a hypocrite and raise my hands and praise the Lord, not the way I've been living. So there's that kind of guilt. Another form of guilt is this self-imposed humility. Well, I'm so awful. I am so bad. I have, uh, I'm so unworthy. Oh, I, had a, I was in church the other night, and I was about to let go and break through, and I had a flashback to when I was 22. That was before you got saved. Oh, I was really not saved. And I had this flashback about, oh, I can't talk about it. It breaks my heart. <laughs> How many of you know there's a remedy for all this? I don't know if people want to be delivered from all of that or do they just like the, the feeling of self-imposed humility. I'm so humble. 
Oh, I can't worship God because of all these sinful things that I used to do and all the words I used to use. And oh, how can I praise God like that? Well, folks, there may be some of you that weren't that deep into it, but this room's full of people that have sinned. There's not a soul in this room who hadn't sinned or who's watching this that hadn't sinned. Has it messed up in some way? It bothers you. I hope it did. God allows your conscience to bring guilt in your life. That's going to lead to repentance. If, the, if you don't have that, you'll live with it. You'll just say, well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> just go your own liberal way. But God leans on you. He leans on all of us. He makes sure that he makes us know about, oh, oh. And you can't say, well, I just can't worship God because I've been such a bad person in my life. Well, we all know you've been a bad person. You couldn't have been a good person because <laughs> who's good except Jesus? Who's good? Well, I s smoked a cigarette the other day. Well, do you feel good about that? I mean, is it all right? No, I shouldn't smoke. Well, then for you, it's a sin. Well, I saw John Doe smoking. He didn't think it was a sin. What John Doe did is between John Doe and God. If you think it's wrong, and you did, it's Romans 14. It's sin. There's some people that can do things that you can't do because you know more. More has been planted in your heart about the way of life than has been planted in their hearts. And so, you can't say that you're unique in the sin department because we all sin. Well, I took an aspirin the other day for a headache. Well, I took my pills and I had a medicine and I kind of broke down and took that. Plus, when during the ball game, a commercial was too long and I said a bad word. Well, I can't say you've been doing well. But you see, everything you did, you did by choice. You wanted to do all of that. The devil just took advantage of your choices. The devil will maneuver you into a place where you sin. And then once you sin, he condemns you for sinning. That's the way the devil works. Why wouldn't he do that? He's the devil. He tempts you and gives you some lustful thought or some lustful desire or something you got to have, and he lures you into it, as we said about in James a week or so ago. And once he lures you into it, you get to thinking about it. Sin is like a conception in your heart. Once it conceives, pop, it begins to grow. As it grows, it dominates, and as it dominates, it kills. And the wages of sin is death. But we know all of this. We know better. We're walking through this life with our eyes open. There's nobody here that's blind. Our eyes are open. The devil has been identified to some degree enough for us to know. We are not unaware of his devices. We know that he does this and he does that and that he's a tempter and so forth. Our eyes are open. We're all guilty before God when we make bad choices. But if you've made a bad choice, the remedy for all bad choices and all your guilt is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins. Remember that verse? If you don't remember, we're going to have to turn to it. If we confess our sins, what does it say? He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us of our sins. I come in here tonight just like you do. My life was, was about as dark with sin as I could imagine. Sometimes I really do. I really, really do feel like I was the chief of sinners. Less than the least of all saints, as Paul said. Because sin was that horrible. It was that bad. But all of that's been set aside. I have been forgiven all of that. All those flashbacks that the devil tries to throw in there to keep you from being exuberant or joyful, all of those flashbacks are just reminders to you that you've been forgiven. Everything you did, all those ugly things you thought about, that ugly time, that ugly moment, that ugly movie, that ugly experience, 
you've been forgiven. If you've repented, if you've truly, if you have truly repented with your heart of whatever you've done, you've been forgiven. And the devil can't throw that I'm so unworthy on you. No, you've been forgiven. You're not really worthy now, but he esteems you, counts you, reckons you as worthy. And therefore, he accepts you into his presence, knowing how flawed all of us were. And he says, now, worship. Show me how you feel about it. So sometimes we come together and we go, well, I'm just not much into it tonight. I can see that, he said. But you should be, because there's a thing called sacrifice in the Bible. So if the remedy for sin is repentance, then a lot of people who say, well, I'm just so much in my life is not adding up and I'm not connecting and I just feel bad about that. Why don't you repent? Why don't you repent and come through the doors and say, tonight is a moment with God. I'm going to give God a sacrifice. That's my best. It's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to stand, stand for a while. I'm going to have to get involved and sing and quit wondering who's not singing and why they're not singing or what's the bongos for. You just raise your hands and worship. I mean, there's nothing hard about that. It's a choice. It's a choice. And listen to me. As your friend, the longer you refrain from doing all of that, the harder it gets maybe down the road, to start doing it because you become self-conscious. Well, I just can't forgive myself, some folks say. What I did was so bad that I, Brother Hamilton, you don't know how sinful my life was. And I could say, well, you don't know how sinful mine was either, so we're even. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I've, I've done stuff that... Uh, why would God forgive somebody like me of stuff like that? I'm so ashamed of so much stuff that I've done. I just can't imagine just saying I'm sorry or repenting and, and pouring my heart out, and then that all goes away. So, I, you know, I just can't forgive myself. Let me ask you a question. Are you greater than God? Can God forgive you? I've talked to a number of people in my life, especially in the matter of deliverance from demonic oppression. And a lot of them, the barrier between them and their freedom was they couldn't forgive themselves. They themselves could not accept forgiveness. They were hell, they were bound like in a little jail. They were captured by their own emotions, by their own fear. The devil kept telling them how bad they were and you can't do it. And, and it's not even, why even try? And after all, how could somebody be forgiven of all the dastardly things that you've done? Some of those people just draw back. And you tell them, look, God has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west in Psalm 103. In the depths of the sea, he's buried all your sins. Your sin doesn't get to cling and hold on to you even though you repent. Why do you keep thinking about it? It's hanging around you. You're free. You've been set free. Hold on. Let me tell you another reason that people don't worship. It's fear. Fear. Now, fear, like sin, has a lot of different kinds of expressions. One of those in Proverbs 29 says is the fear of man. We are afraid of what somebody will say if I really express myself to God the way I want to, the way I'm really feeling like he deserves from me. But if I do that, there's so many that don't do that that I feel like I'd be putting on a show, that I'd be the centerpiece of the church at night. Wow, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? What's wrong with you? God isn't nervous. All that noise doesn't make God nervous. All this, whoo, and jumping up and down and running. We used to have a little more running room than we do here. It's kind of awkward to get around here in this cathedral. But fear keeps us from doing a whole lot of things. We're afraid we might get to and do something wrong and somebody will notice. And then once they notice, you know, you're on Facebook. 
or mouth book or whatever, you know, the current book is in society. We're just real conscious of failing, of being called something. We don't want that. We're afraid of that. So we tend to back off and give it up. Sometimes we're afraid of praise, like Estelle and Bonnie and I, the churches that we grew up in. I, we got married in her church, Presbyterian Church, a good pastor, a nice man. We got married there, but, and it was very structured, very proper, put together. But actually, the pastor was somewhat conservative. And he was one of the old throwback Presbyterians, but he had a lot of class. But there were just some things that you would not do there. You know, Pentecostal wouldn't come in there and start speaking in tongues. I guess he could. But that probably wouldn't be the right place to do that. And I'm not saying that God would never do that, but I'm just saying that for a lot of us, that wouldn't be the right thing to do in the right kind of place because, well, that's not the way we do it. What do you mean that's not the way we do it? Well, you know, with the church I grew up in, you had a bulletin. How many you know what a bulletin is? A bulletin was just a little paper that told you what the events were in the church, the announcements, coming announcements, the order of service, the, the hymns that we were singing, what would be after that, the communion, and then uh, uh, the offering, and then the, the sermon, and then the benediction, and what song the organist would play, which you couldn't even pronounce. I mean, it just told you what was going to happen. And it told you who would do certain things, at least the church I was in. It was very structured and very organized. Nothing was spontaneous unless the preacher said something funny and a few people <coughs> and made a, some kind of a little laughing gesture. When you came into the sanctuary, it was a time to, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. You know, it was supposed to be quiet. Yes, we didn't come in here to make a lot of noise. We came here to be still. Liberals like that because it eliminates a whole lot of uh, what the Bible says about worship and praise and noise and noise makers like the horns and the timbrel, all those kind of things. We have a fear of what people will say. We have a fear we might not do something right. We have a fear of being singled out for criticism. And if you never do anything, if you never be what's in your heart to be, you'll never be criticized because uh, nobody will ever know what you believe. So you can sit there quiet and still. I'm not saying you do, but I know that when Bonnie and I did, that's what we did. The first time after we got saved, we went to a, one night, we were seeking to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Went to a Pentecostal church. So far as I know, I had never been in a Pentecostal church of any kind. I had heard a few vague stories about I wasn't interested. But we went in one, and I was, it's a longer story than I'll tell, but I determined that we should sit in the back so that as soon as the sermon was over, we're out of here. We just slip out the door, nobody knew who we were and couldn't identify us, and we're free. And, of course, uh, you know, 7 o'clock church supposed to start. Well, that didn't mean anything. 7 might be 8, you know. <laughs> anyway, we went there to sit in the back, and they ushered us up front, about the third or fourth row. And there we are sitting up there, and, I, you know, I'm so full of myself that I was sure everybody in there knew who I was and that this would be in the school board's next call to assembly, that there was a preacher in the Pentecostal church, and we can't have that. It's awful how you think, isn't it? Well, anyway, we were in there, and it had a guest speaker that night, and the preacher just came out. We didn't get a bulletin. I didn't know what they were going to do. I mean, I'm sitting here like this here, you know, looking for boxes up front. They got anything wiggling in them or, you know. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. So the preacher just walks out finally and says, well, praise the Lord. Let's all stand our feet and worship God. And I thought, that's not how you do it. The choir ain't even come in yet. See, the choir's supposed to come in and sit down. I used to be in the choir, the, all of that, wore that pretty robe. And then the 
preacher's wife got on the organ and had three rolls of keys. To this day, I do not know how a human being can do this. Played three different keyboards and do the feet and talk to somebody while they're doing it. Well, she hit a note and just ruined and she started talking, playing, and just was looking around and grinning. And I'm watching, I'm thinking, that's God, that's God, that's God. That has to be God. Mrs. Cartwright couldn't do that. Somebody came up to say something to her and she just said, okay, yeah, okay. And her feet's going back and forth all over the, you know, and, and okay. Ah, it's God. We're in the right place. God's here. And they sang, and then they would just raise their hands and say, whoa, and that bothered me. See, I was afraid of that because I had never done that. That wasn't in my upbringing. I had never done that. That was different. And then the preacher came up, and a very intelligent man. He was a big kahuna in the assemblies of God, and he had a very, very good message. Of course, I'm sitting there, you know, I'm not there to learn. I'm there to find his faults. Did you get that Greek word right? I don't know. Did you get it right? Did you get it right? I don't know. Take a note. We'll find out. I don't know what we're going to do about it, but we, but we take a note. And after the thing was over that night, same night, a few rows behind us, uh, he was preaching, and he stopped. He's at the end of the sermon, and he stopped. Like that, and the guy, if you rode behind us, like you hit a little button, and he went to yelling and to yeah, he was going from I mean, and we're sitting there holding on the chair, thinking we've got to get out of here. <laughs> I was sitting next to the preacher, and he couldn't get out this way, and he couldn't get out the other way. We had some others down there. There's a whole carload of us, and we sitting there. He said, "How do we get out of here?" I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I couldn't deny that there was something about it that was genuine. But it wasn't Christian church genuine. And these people were, you know, they came out happy. And after that guy did that, he spoke in tongues for maybe 20 seconds. I mean, it came out this way and that way, tumbling sideways, rolling and jumping. <laughs> I remember thinking, somebody better interpret this because you're supposed to interpret this. The Bible says you're supposed to interpret this. See, I was real. I knew all about it. That man, I remember he said, now, before I give you the interpretation of what the young man said in the spirit, what he said was for one of you or a few of you that have come here tonight. And I thought, oh, Lord God, somebody called and told him we were here. Somebody told on us. I'm fired. That's it. I'm done. My coaching career ended tonight in a tongue-talking church in Louisville. And then he gave the interpretation, very simple. He said, now, what the Spirit said was this. See, we think that sometimes interpretation has to be some big dramatic, but he just said, the Spirit of God said, do not be afraid. And then he mentioned, just like a conversation, he said that you do not have to be afraid of the movings of the Spirit, for he has not come to scare you or frighten you, but to inform you so that he may draw you closer to him, something like that. And I knew in my heart, I had a witness in my little Christian church heart that that's right. And I'd studied this stuff about tongues. I wasn't one of them. Then we went to his house. Remember, we went to the motel where this guy stayed. I have got to talk to him. Oh, we're going home. We're going home. I have got to talk to him. Y'all don't understand. I have got to talk to this man. He's in a motel. Well, then we'll go wake him up. Tom, we can't do that. Well, somebody come back over here and get me then because I'm going to talk to the man. We went to the hotel, found out where he was. He came downstairs. And he sat down and talked to us. I remember he looked at me and he said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And I said, I am. I sure am. He answered all of our questions. My fear began to wane. My fear of what they did began to wane. Went to full gospel business men's meeting in Louisville. They don't have that anymore, but boy, it was the stuff then. And that night, one lady, she went to carry it on and yada, blah, 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 you know. But I was used to it by this time. All right, good. And then... All this worship and praise took off, and one young man thought he was anointed. I mean, he could 
run across the chair. See, there was a thing known in our circles then that if you caught up in the spirit, you could run across the back of folding chairs. Yeah, and I had heard some that people have done that. Just front the front row, the back, right across folding chairs, and none of them fell down. Well, this young fellow thought he could, thought he had that. And he took off, whoo! He took off running, hit the first chair, and landed about three or four rows back through there. And it was terrible. But you know what? That didn't keep me. That didn't turn me off as far as what God had for us. He missed it. He might today be a powerhouse somewhere. I don't know. But I know at the time I'm thinking, well, you then I could repent of what I said later. But fear. I'm not around this. I'm not around this. I'm not around people that want to dance and you know, they're carrying on like this here. I'm not around that. Nobody did that in the Christian church ever. Never. Nobody clapped unless it was vacation Bible school, graduation, and your child got a star. It was just religion. And boy, when God brought us into all of this, I realized he didn't give us a spirit of fear. He didn't give us a troubled heart about worshiping him. He wants us to worship him. Fear keeps us from giving honor to God, from giving him his due praise. See, worship has to do with worthiness. God is worth praise. He is worthy to be praised and adored. But that's just words to a lot of people. It's not something that's in my heart. It's in my head. I can memorize it and quote it, but it's just something that's not in my heart. Fear is a killer. It'll quench the gifts of the Spirit almost every time because you're afraid it might come out wrong. You might say something wrong. But it's probably its biggest grip is when we try to worship. Unless everybody is doing it at one time, and it's easy then, and I like that, but it's hard to do it because of fear. Another thing, another reason that we're hindered from worship is because of a wrong concept of God. We have a wrong idea of God. You know, that we see in the Bible all those legal terms, God is harsh and God requires this and, and God requires that. Hard to please. He's impersonal. You can't really relate to him. Nobody can keep all of those things. He's just the faraway God. How do you enter into worship with somebody you can't relate to? And that's true. How can anybody in this room tonight, how can we worship somebody we really don't know? I mean, let's face it, a lot of people were saved by a stranger. Just like we said Sunday, was it you, Isaac, that got that gift after church? You know, if I told him after church he gets a gift, he would believe it. But if a total stranger came in off the street, never seen him before in his life, said, I'm going to give you $1,000 after church and went, went back outside, he would probably say, right. He wouldn't be excited about that because he didn't know who that was. Didn't know him. I wonder how often something similar to that is true between us and the Lord. That maybe we need to pray that God will give us a draw nigh experience that he would bring me into his inner chambers and unite my heart to fear his name and to let me get a release and let me begin to worship him the way he wants me to. I remember early in my life, and I know you do too, when you grew up in a church like I did and you never did any of these, they call them Pentecostal today, but spiritual things. And how hard it was even to lift your hands. If you were a good Baptist, it was hard to get your hands up like that. You know, unless everybody else was. Or you're being robbed or something. It was just hard to do it. It was just terrible. But once you did it, you begin to break down all those barriers. Once you begin to move with God into, as he gently brings us, he does. He just gently brings us along. And as he does, we begin to realize that 
God is not somebody far away and impersonal. God has come face to face so that I can know him and be yoked with him in this life to live on his terms and do the things that he wants. There's people that don't want that. They like a quiet, orderly service. We're going to dismiss ourselves from all this noise and carrying on and shouting and swinging of the arms. We're just going to be quiet and orderly and structured. And that'll be it. And it does keep us from worshiping God. While first, second, and third stanza can amount to worship depending on your heart, and I can't see it. I think most of the time it's just ritual. It's the way we've learned to do it. It's by rote. It doesn't mean much to us because we can do it and put the hymn book back in its little slot in the back of the pew. And uh, that's about all it was. We don't go home richer because of our time with the Lord. We don't go home more responsive because of a, another release in the spirit while we get to worship a little bit. We just went to church, did what we always do, the way we've always done it, and that's pretty much all there is to it. Which brings me to the last point I want to make tonight. A hindrance to faith is the interference of the satanic kingdom, the work of the devil, to hinder us. Maybe you're feeling oppressed or going through some form of oppression. Or the storms of life are blowing around you or you've gone through a valley of some sort. Or you've been in a mental war of some sort. Wrestling with some decision you ought to make. Not knowing whether to do this or to do that. And, and the devil keeps that stuff hanging right on your headpiece. Right on your mind. And he keeps that stuff all kinds of conflicts and stress. And gets you to think about what you're going to do tomorrow while you're here tonight. So that whatever is said tonight that you need to hear, you might not have heard it. That's the devil. He does everything he can to keep you from hearing his word. Doesn't he go about like a roaring lion? Doesn't he? Doesn't he seek whom he may devour? Doesn't he try to do that? One of the songs that we sing, put on the garment I know you boys on the front row know this, you preachers. Put on the garment of praise for the... Well, sing it. See, they don't want to. I just told you, right? Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What's heaviness? It's that suppression of the devil. It's a weight you're carrying around. It's a hindrance. It keeps you from giving to God what he wants. I'm stressed. I just can't do it. I just, it's too much here. I'm going to hang my harp in the willow. Remember that in Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon? They hung our harps. They said, sing us one of those songs of Zion. How can we? We're oppressed. We're down. We're conquered. And yet God in his goodness, remember Psalm 126, when the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, it says we were like those who dream. Then was our heart filled with joy and our mouth with laughter. And we were glad. That's what God does when he looses you from oppression. Would any of you be offended tonight if I said there are too many of you here that are oppressed? Would that bother you? You don't have to answer me. You can just say, not me. And then you're out. But it's easy to oppress certain people who give in to the pressures of life and don't take steps to be delivered from it. Ephesians 1. Somebody tell me in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 19. Ephesians 1 and verse 19, what has Jesus done for us concerning the devil? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? Who believe? Not to those that don't believe, but his power is for us 
who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above what? Far above all the kingdoms and the workings and the subjects and the imps of the devil. Far above all of that stuff is your seated place in heaven. And he said, and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things. To whom? To the church, which is his body. That's us. Would you agree with me then tonight that all of his victory in his war, that what he accomplished is our accomplishment too? He gave it to us. What God laid on Jesus, the devil has no right to lay on me. I've been delivered. You say, well, it doesn't feel like it. I don't care what it feels like. Faith doesn't walk by sight. It walks by faith. It accepts as true what God says in his word, even when there's no evidence of that word. That's what faith does. This is why it says to those who believe, they will be delivered. They'll be set free. Devil has no right to me. He has no right to you. I pray at the supper table whenever we eat together, which is four or five days and nights a week. I pray that God would heal everybody in this church that's seeking healing so that there would be nobody in this church that's sick. Why not? Didn't Jesus take care of that at the cross? We have to appropriate it. We have to claim it for ourselves and walk as though it's true. Even though it doesn't feel like it's true, we believe it's going to be true and it's in God's hands. Amen. Casting all my care over on him. We trust him. That's what we do. And so the devil has to leave. You resist the devil, what does it say? You resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Even on a Wednesday night, he will. He, he surely will. I don't know if you know that or not, but he surely will. How do you think the devil feels about the power of praise? How do you think the devil feels about your desire to praise? Or how would he feel about praise and worship itself? Let me give you a couple little things to think about. You already know this. Y'all remember Jehoshaphat? Well, he heard a word from God. Word that he took to be from God. It was a man that spoke, and Jehoshaphat said, well, that's what God said. Jehoshaphat, that wasn't God. That was a man. Yeah, I know God speaks through men. That man's proven. So we believe what he said is true. We're going to act like it's true. Jehoshaphat took his whole kingdom, all those people, all their wives and their children, their little ones, marched right down and faced the enemy. And as they were there, he stopped right before they saw him coming. He says, now, I want all you singers come up here. I want all you glad-hearted people. I want the band up here, too. I want them all. He said, all right. And they begin to worship. And some of the Hebrew words for what they did was pretty emotional. I mean, to spin around like a top, to jump up and down. Woo! Hala! Yada! And they begin to do all of these things. You know what happened? How many of you know what happened? The enemy turned on itself and began to kill each other. And the devil was saying, no, 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 no. That's not what I wanted you to do. Because there's one thing that turns the tide against the devil's worship. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. When does he arise? He inhabits praise. When we worship, we're making that his abiding moment here. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Whoso offereth praise, glory, Fieth me. It's real. I mean, that is the real deal. That's exactly what happens. What happened in Acts chapter 16? Paul and Silas were put in jail, and because they were afraid they might get out, they had them locked up in the inner prison. First is the rather smelly jail, and then the inner prison is the stinky jail. And they had them blocked and cuffed in the inner jail so they couldn't get out and had guards around them. And Paul was in there, and he said, I got a song, Silas. Silas said, what is it? 
We're just some poor. The only songs they knew were the Psalms, so I don't know which one they sang, but as they began to sing a hymn, I don't know what they sang. Let God arise, let his enemies be scared. You know, now, if you're beaten, they beat them first. I mean, their backs were beaten. They were hurting in stocks in a smelly place. They only got there because Paul cast out a demon. Remember that? He cast that demon out, and they put him in jail for it. And Silas was still moping about that. If you leave that stuff alone, man, we wouldn't be going through all this. Why do you have to cast out devils all the time? Paul said, oh, Silas, I had a vision. We're here because I know God's in it. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Whoso offereth praise. Silas is going. Glorifieth me. Then God begins to move. You see, you start in the flesh and it works into the spirit. And God begins to come involved. Da 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 Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Next thing you know, I don't know how long they sang, but as they began to sing, here came the Lord. You suppose God could deliver us too? He didn't deliver everybody that went to jail. There's a lot of people who went to jail in the Bible who didn't get out. He did. Paul did. Peter did in Acts 12. The devil does his best to make our lives as miserable as he can, but God has a solution to everything in our life. And that solution is the reason we worship. I'm counting on God. God's going to take care of this. This is going to be all right. Don't give in. Resist the devil and what? He'll flee from you. He will finally flee from you. Let me give you one verse and let's go home. Turn to Psalms 115 and verse 17. Psalms 115 and verse 17. Now let me ask you a question. You read the verse, not the end of it, but just the first half. Who does not praise the Lord? Let me ask you again because you apparently don't have your Bible open there yet. Psalm 115. Who does not praise the Lord? The dead. Well, now you know where I'm going. Are we dead or alive? Well, that's your choice, isn't it? Of course, he's talking about those that went into the grave and have died. The grave doesn't worship, you know. But in a sense of being dead while we live, the dead don't praise the Lord. They see no value in it. They don't see the purpose of it but God's people will now I don't know what's in your heart tonight or where you are but we're going to meet again on Sunday and I'd like for you to bring something special Sunday I'm not talking about money I'm talking about praise make a covenant with your lips and say you are going to spend a few minutes worshiping the creator or I'll put you in a cold shower when I get home. <laughs> See, only you can do that. Won't you make a decision? Won't you bow your head with me right now? You examine yourself. Give yourself a good look over for a moment while you're sitting there with your eyes closed. Are you uncomfortable praising God? Does dancing make you uncomfortable? Does people shouting and jumping up and down make you uncomfortable? When the Spirit of God moves like that and it comes natural, you should be glad. See, God will give us, God will give us an opportunity as his people to make a good choice on how we respond to him. And the more you do, the more rebellion and sin and fear all of that stuff begins to lose its grip until you find yourself one day free you can just worship and shout and get in your car sometime by yourself and just have a meeting a camp meeting in your car just getting free just gonna 
live free and get free and act free and love free. Maybe that's what the Lord wants you to know tonight. Maybe that's why we're here tonight. This is the last days. There is a generation, the Bible says, that's going to praise the Lord. I pray that you're it, you young folks. I pray that you're it. But it's got to come. We are thankful tonight, Lord God. We are thankful for your word and for your spirit. We have been remiss in giving you what you deserve. But I ask you, Lord, to deal with our hearts, touch our hearts. Bring us into that place where you're pleased with what we do and what we say. Give us that spiritual release. Set us all free that we may worship you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Stand to your feet. God is good, isn't he? All right, now in the Bible, it was more scriptural to hear his word and then to sing his praise. You know, in the, in the upper room, when Jesus went, did all that he did, then they sang a hymn and then they left. In Psalms 106, as they heard his word, they sang his praise. So we're going to sing uh, just one verse. We're going to sing Blessed Assurance. How many of you remember Blessed Assurance? And think about it. I am blessed and I have the assurance of my life and my tomorrows. Because of Jesus. Or like the song says, because he lives, I can face all my tomorrows. Amen? Amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God, born of his spirit, fills in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Amen.